No, go ahead, talk. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. No. Do it. No. Do it. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. The WordBros.com. Welcome to another fantastic edition of Word Bros. Yeah, buddy. What's up, dudes? I'm Bob. I'm Kevin. And we, together, we formed the Word Bros, like Voltron. Something like that. Without the robots. There's no robots involved. But if there were, it would be cooler. Yeah. I mean, everything is cooler with robots. Yes. Except for GoBots. Those suck. I mean, I'm not going to slander GoBots. I am. I I just did. GoBots know they're lesser than. There's no reason for us to pile on, Kevin. <laughs> or those rock transformers. Those things are fucking awful. The rock ones? I don't remember the rock ones. Rock lords. They were. I had a buddy that tried to convince me they were cool. I started getting out of transformers. This is a totally different conversation, and I don't want to interrupt from Steve. But um, I remember. Remember when they used to be made of metal? Yes. And then they started being made about made with plastic. Yes. That's when I kind of fell out of it. Okay. Like once that once they started turn, being turned into plastic, I was like, I don't know about this. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> even as a kid, I was like, you know, man, before they were metal and that was cool and now they're plastic, so I'm not sure. Like, like what was your first Transformer then? Shit, I probably like everybody else, I had Optimus Prime. I had Optimus. I had Megatron. They weren't my, my first one was the Red Lamborghini. Oh, that's nice. Sideswipe. Yeah, that yeah, was my that's first cool. Transformer. That's cool. The Transformers were cool, man. But anyway, you know what else is cool? Steve. Our, yep, our buddy Steve. Steve Bryant. He's Steve cool. Bryant. So let's talk Steve. to Steve about his new Kickstarter that's coming out. Actually, it's out now. Let's talk to Steve about his Kickstarter, which is The Catch. It's like Elmore Leonard meets Gotham Central. Those are two wonderful things. Let's hear about that right now. Steve, how are you, friend? I'm doing okay. How about you guys? Man, I'm tired. <laughs> to be fair, you spend you spend a day with your family at the water parks. The water parks are tiring. The water parks are tiring. It's a lot of sun, man. It takes a lot out of you. The, the chlorine and everything, you know. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good time that we recently got passes to Coney Island, which is a lot of fun. Coney Island in Cincinnati? Yeah, there's a Coney Island in Cincinnati, but that's another subject for another time. I I was lost for a second. That's part of the reason my hair looks so cool today is because it was like wet and stuff, and now it's dried and it looks all Can you do the flip? Can you do the flippy thing? Can you flip it? Oh, yeah, there it is. That's what I'm talking about. Now we got some Twitch viewers here. Yeah, I just got to, we just, you know, what we should all do, we should all just go sit in a hot tub and then our Twitch viewers <laughs> will go through the roof. No one wants to see us. That's what people anymore. want. They want to see us interview Steve in a hot tub. <laughs> you guys can be in a hot tub. I, my doughy self does not need to be anywhere near a hot tub. 
I also think too, if you're in a hot tub, we lose the visual of all those hot books back there, Steve. I like yes. all the books. You look very learned, Steve. It does. Yes. Yeah, but they've all got pictures in them. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm an artist. Well, well, you're an artist and a writer and, too, and a because writer. you've got the Catch Volume One live right now on Kickstarter. Yes. True. True. Uh, and the brilliant Ishmael Canales drew that. So. I, I can brag about the artwork for that one without, you know, affecting my imposter syndrome. Nice. Now, did you draw, um, did you draw the Voltaire book as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, I drew most of the Athena Voltaire stuff. Okay. Um, I licensed it to Action Lab when I went back to school. So, uh, like, while I was in uh, completing my undergrad and, and grad school, uh, we, we had a few other artists drawing it. But uh, the book for next year uh is underway and i'm i'm working on that nightly. that's awesome are you are you drawing it and writing it or are you just are you just writing it um i've already written it and i'm, I'm drawing it really slowly but i'm i feel like i've leveled up since the last nice. volume I, I drew that so i'm i'm really excited i just don't want to mess it up that's cool that's, that's awesome cool. um it's tell awesome. us about that about that series for people who haven't read it like what's what's athena voltaire about it's 1930s pulp adventure, kind of Indiana Jones, but starring a woman pilot. Uh, so, you know, you've got ancient artifacts, lost cities, monsters, explosions, Nazis, exploding Nazis, you know. Well, those wow. are the best kind, right? <laughs> exactly. I was, sold, I was sold on 1930s pulp. You had me as, as an artist. It's, it's my wheelhouse. I, I really <clears throat> love doing that, that kind of stuff because there's still a sense of like... Um, adventure if you put something in in that era because you can you can get anywhere on the globe by plane but you know like everything wasn't mapped by satellite so you yeah. can you can bs a lot of a lot of uh kind pulpy kinds of adventures pretty easily uh, without satellites and cell phones that's true that's true and it's such a fun era to play. I mean, everybody loves Indiana Jones. I mean, everybody, you know? So it's like, how do you not want to make your own Indiana Jones thing? You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it is getting a like, just <sighs> learning as my worldview grows. Uh -huh. um, you know, there are a lot of uh, elements of, of that era that, um, are potentially not good subject matter anymore. You know, yes. That, mm -hmm. as we're looking back on that period, and as, as, you know, hopefully we all grow as individuals, there's a lot of colonialism and imperialism and, and stuff like that that's inherent in uh, the work, some of the works of the period. And it, it it's just kind of, it, it It's a really cool sandbox to play in, but I'm trying to learn to be uh, better and smarter and just pay more attention to the to the changing world around me. I didn't mean to be Captain Braindown, you know, when I brought that no, no, up. No, 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 we asked. Know, it's, like... it, it's just part, <laughs> it's kind of part and parcel with, um, you know, doing period stuff and trying to to do better. No, totally. We feel the same way with when we were doing Dust Pirates. Like as I, we did that um, that interview with shit. I can't remember his name. He was so nice too, and I Kevin Joseph I that with Kevin Joseph, yes. and we yeah. called um, we called Dust Pirates kind of woke pulp. Yeah, 
which is, well, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know? Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of uh, romance to, to pulpy things, um, you know, sword and sorcery or, or pirate adventures or, or swashbucklers in general, or, you know, 30s aviatrices. Mm -hmm. Aviatrixes. Um, <laughs> there's I think a lot of romance. I think it's the second that. one. Yeah, just kind of uh, navigating all of that for a modern audience um, is challenging, but I, I think it can be fulfilling to, to show that, you know, you can still do swashbuckling and you can still do, you know, a Western or Conan or, or whatever and just try to be aware. And no, totally. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really great quality on your part to kind of admire the work as a whole but to update it to a modern sensibility like that's very cool on your part to do because you know sometimes i mean i think we're kind of going through that right now with you know um uh, uh what is it called that all the all the conservatives are bitching about the way education wants to be taught uh, critical oh, race yeah. theory yeah, yeah. yeah like i think it's okay to look at america as a whole and go this is a pretty wonderful place but we fucked up in a lot of places and to be able to to kind of look at something critically like that i think you can do that with literature you can do that with especially the work of edgar rice burroughs or things of that nature go yes these are there there's a good skeleton here but some of the organs need to be taken out and replaced and modernized no totally totally um because yeah i i think you know to do the parallel between uh you know what you were saying about like the history uh the way we're looking at history a little differently i i don't think that invalidates uh you know anything about american history the way that that some conservatives are really looking at it like it's a, it's a threat because um <clears throat> you know the founding fathers were flawed human beings yeah but mm -hmm the the aspirational content of of like the constitution and the bill of rights and the declaration of independence the aspirational stuff we should still reach for so i i don't get what the disconnect is either because we know there were some really messed up things in the past and yes. looking at looking at that i and i know that that sounds like you know using really muted language to say messed up so so incredibly fucked up things in the past but um you know it's okay to say these concepts are really cool and let's try to live up to that and to, to bring it around to burroughs um yeah you know he wrote a ton of white savior stories but the basic um like you said the basic skeleton of that stuff uh a romantic adventure if you if you can take out some of the colonial aspects of it it's still a really good story because yes. you know his, the the foundational stuff of, of his story is is just you know romantic heroism. So you know if if you if you gender swap or or, or race swap or whatever and take out some of, of the the problematic stuff, you know the structure is still great. Mm -hmm. Well, so, which is also smart of you to make Athena a woman a woman character in that time period because her life in the 30s is going to be much different than than life today um 
and all the things that she would have to go through would be much harder on her. And, I, and I'm sure those are story points that you thought of and address in, in the books. I'm and, slowly starting to, to dive into some of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at, fir at first, um, I, I think I was, I was more uh, aware of just what I wanted to do as, as a storyteller. I keep looking at the at, at you guys on screen rather than over at the camera, so You're I'm fine. gonna look all cockeyed. Uh, but you know, you wacky eyed son was, of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, at first I was more concerned just with with telling a spinning a good yarn, but uh, as they say. But uh, yeah, in recent uh, story arcs, I've been kind of playing with with some of that and trying to trying to learn how to. Uh, incorporate some some topical things into the stories without um, I don't want to trivialize stuff that that's my big fear is that I'm not graceful enough to to handle it in a, in a way that that uh, either gives the subject matter the dignity it deserves or um, doesn't grind the story to a screeching halt so you know i'm, I'm getting a little tentative I'm, I'm slowly putting stuff in and you know figuring out how to do this um you know you guys know what a, what a process it is yeah, with, I, I, I think i think all we're that. all trying to figure out how to navigate this space where you know you want to write a strong woman character or a strong lgbtq character but being a straight white man, you don't want to feel like you're pandering or or you're not giving the subject matter it's just due or you're not coming from a place of really wanting to tell a story that way or you're just throwing in a character just to do it. You know what I'm saying? Just to, to get oh, yeah. praise from people on Twitter. So, I mean, I think that's where um, we have a friend, Melissa White, who is a... Um, Kevin, what is she's she's a cultural reader, yes, a sensitivity reader, a sensitivity reader to make sure that when Kevin and I, as dumb, straight, cis, white males, kind of attempt to tackle some of these things, we're coming at it from a place of genuineism and of and of sensitivity as opposed to just being dumb white cis males going like, well, maybe we'll get some props for throwing this character in the book. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah. I, I think there, there's something to be said for wanting to uh, write something that reflects the real world. And I, I, apparently aspirational is going to be my, my word of the night. Um, but, you know, um, kind of showing things in that aspirational way where, yeah. uh, you know, you have uh, a more accepting uh diverse cast no i completely agree I, I feel that way with the new star trek do you watch star trek discovery at all are you a trek fan uh we we've watched the first two seasons and we've got to cycle back and and get a month of uh, uh, uh cbs all access yeah. <laughs> or paramount yeah. plus or whatever the hell it's called but i feel they do a really good job on that show of just and it doesn't feel like it's just background characters like as opposed to you know when you watch a tv show in space in the future and everybody's white like i think it makes sense especially in like a star trek world because if you think okay star trek takes place 200 years in the future even right now the majority of this planet are brown people so right. it's like why wouldn't it be represented that way in space so i think they just do a good job of taking those things into consideration 
you know, I'm not saying every character on your show has to be a person of color to make it feel realistic, but I mean, the background characters, like I've, I've always been big into that. Like, oh, cool, look at, look, at, look at the diversity of the background characters, just because I think it shows more thought put into the process. How did we get so fucking serious today? What is I know, happening? I know, it, we <laughs> launched in, and yeah, I, I have plenty of thoughts on this stuff, but I, I don't know if we, if we want to circle back and, and you know, or, or just keep going down the, the heavy path. We what? might as well for a <laughs> minute and, so we don't have to come back to it. Like, how do we even make that segue <laughs> we back get, into we, it? You we know? gotta get we gotta the heavy out and then ask Steve what kind of ice cream you want. Yeah. Like, what oh. kind of ice cream do you eat? You know, we'll do that. <laughs> well, we'll, one more thought on, on the on the heavy stuff. Sure. Uh, oh. And it's it, it is kind of that fine line because you want to show representation, but you don't wanna um, appropriate somebody else's story. Oh, totally. Uh, right. You know, I, I remember um, uh, a Twitter thread where um, Max Visaggio was talking about, um, you know, uh, cishet white guys um, trying to tell trans people's stories. And that always stayed with me, but um, it's been, I'm doing some math here, about two two and a half years ago um my child came out to me as as trans oh cool and it it's become increasingly important to me to uh not co-opt a trans person's story but also try to incorporate more uh more trans characters, more LGBTQ. Um, like just, I, I had read years back the, the dumbest news article uh, that talked about um, Americans approval of uh, marriage equality. And it was significantly lower prior to the debut of the, the sitcom Modern Family, which had a married gay couple. Uh, and but it, they compared the numbers from before that show debuted to uh, like when it hit syndication and the approval numbers had, had completely flopped. And, you know, obviously that doesn't mean that this show converted people, but by showing like de-otherizing people that a certain political party wants to otherize, um, it, it made things more accepting. So I th like that was stuck in my head and I, I was doing a, a, a web comic at the time that I, I, I put on hiatus, but I'm going to come back to it. That was uh, kind of a 1980s post-apocalyptic adventure realm. And uh, I didn't want to, uh, since I'd already established it, I, I just, I brought in uh, a romantic interest who happened to be trans because I, you know, it was it was largely a uh, kind of a Snake Plissken type of lead character, and I thought that could be subversively cool. That you know, you've got this this macho masculine character whose you know uh, character arc is 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 going to be uh, a relationship with this this trans character, and so that was done largely because of my daughter Lucy and trying to. Uh, represent things and and make things you know 
think about a better world. That's cool. Uh, so I, she's kind of my sensitivity reader for, for stuff like that. Okay. But um, just when you, when you were talking about, about incorporating different characters, um, yeah, sometimes it's hard as, you know, a, a cishet white guy, because I, I don't want, like I said, to take somebody else's story, but I do want to contribute to making the world uh, more accepting. If I, if makes I, sense. Right. I can do it in my own small way. I know there are people that, that do it much better and to a larger audience and, and uh, more effectively. Well, let's, let's talk about the catch. Yeah. yeah, yeah After please, all that. I, I didn't mean to ramble about No, not at all. No, no. I think it's, I mean, I think these are conversations that people need to hear and people like to hear. And I mean, I never thought in a million years I'd hear the word bros talking about critical race theory and things of this nature. But I mean, we have opinions about a lot of things. I feel like our opinions are informed and kind of come from a genuine place. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to hear. I think what you just shared with us was very genuine and it's very cool. And I think the more you see the others, air quotes, in yeah. traditional media as just people, people then- or, or characters in a yeah, story. Then yeah. they just, then it, it kind of takes the air quotes other out of the equation. I think that's, that's a, a good thing, you know, which is, it just, it's just nice, you know, if, if you can watch a sitcom and the neighbor's just a gay dude who's just there, then people go, oh, okay, that's cool. Because everyone has stereotypes in their head right. of what a gay man is. You know, everyone has a stereotype of what a, uh, a young African-American looks like portrayed because they've seen Fox News or this, that, or the other thing. So it's nice if you can kind of turn that on its ear just by making Wilson next door a gay man. You know what I mean? Right. He's just going to talk about the ball game and cut his grass. You know what I mean? Like, that, you well, know? Yeah, because so I, cool. I think, yeah, just normalizing everything as, as yeah. just, you know. Takes the, fear, takes the fear out of it, if that makes sense. Or the, like you said, the other, the other air quote kind of thing out of it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, we, sure, we're all doing comics and, you know, we, all of us here are doing adventure comics but that yeah. doesn't mean that that there can't be um you know a core humanity behind it god i sound pretentious oh dude whatever <laughs> i mean what? kevin and i sometimes uh we try our best not to be serious writers but sometimes it just kind of it seeps its way in somehow and you just have to kind of deal with some of these things you know yeah like with, yeah, yeah. with, with best pirates for example um, we knew we wanted to have a diverse cast. And then our time period, for example, is in the, the late 1700s, like the sunset of pirates, uh, basically the, that time period. And we knew we wanted to have Sam be like a captain and, and we knew we wanted him to be white, but we, we knew we wanted Quintor to be black. And so we had to look into more serious things for that comic than we would normally look into because Quintor being black has an effect on the actual story. Um, and, and, and it comes from a place of us feeling for the characters and feeling the characters and feeling like, man, we love Quintor. We, we want to see Quintor happy. And we hope that the audience loves Quintor and wants to see him happy too. And that's part of the story in essence um, in, our, in our tale. So like when, you're, when we bring up these things, it's, it's because 
people need to hear these things i think to, to know like hey like every every one of us are just people we, we want to tell stories and relate to each other's stories and and just all of us are looking for the same thing on this planet love well like ultimately. this is going to be very unprofessional but i have to let my dog out excuse me okay go well, ahead talk it, amongst it, yourselves i'll be back <laughs> i got well, it no you know kevin when, when you were talking about that um yeah, there, I, I feel like there, there are two ways you can approach that, too. You can try to find how it works from a historical point of view, or um, uh, you, you, can, you can cast your, your comic like uh, Dev Patel in The Green Knight, or the casting in, in Bridgerton, or uh, The Great on, on Hulu. Mm -hmm. I'll take these historical things, but... Um, just kind of, um, I don't, I don't know if I, I, I feel like fix word, is a bad word, but I know what you mean. Like, yeah, well, I, I was going to say the word colorblind has become bad too, because you know, you get all these jackasses who say, I don't see color and nonsense like that. But I, I, I think there, there is, uh, some validity to, to casting, you know, these shows or comics in, in that way too. Um, so did you wrestle with like how much, history you wanted to put in when when you were constructing the characters no it was all story based and it's and and i think that's the best thing to do like you, you just base it around the story you want to tell and then for us it was like like the character arcs so he's got his own arc too because he's not a side character he's also a main character um right so like there's basically three main characters in the book so that they all have their own little story arcs um and, and, and the reason for that would, would be because we, we want to focus on the emotional aspect of what he would, what it would feel like to be him in that time period, because, you know, Sam wouldn't understand that, like, because he doesn't have, he doesn't see Quintor that way. Like he, he sees Quintor as his first mate, his buddy. He's not seeing him like as a black man or only a black man, but like, he can't be blind to that either because his friend has to feel these things or go through these things or has been through these things that as you, you know, discover as you read the story that, um, that changed him and, and made him choose the life of a pirate. So um, it's one of those things where I think we as all uh, uh, as writers have to like think about the emotional arcs, like our emotional parts to our characters um, and how, how, how it makes us feel and in weird ways, like, like, you know, like, like, man, that would have sucked to be like him in this time period. So, you know, um, but don't trivialize it. Like you were saying, like, don't make it right. into, you know, don't, don't um, make it into like this. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like, don't put this fantasy spin on that, like try and portray, portray what his feelings would have been as, as accurately as possible. Um, but still keep it true to the story. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be a bit of a tightrope for you guys as well, right? Uh, it just depends on the story for us. Um, for the for the most part, for like for like what you're, like I would imagine that that what you were talking about with Athena Voltaire is a, is a tightrope as well because you're like, oh, I want to do these things, but I want it to be fun and cool and pulp. Like I don't want to weigh it down with 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 so because because you in in some people's minds you can't have both. So right. like I'd rather I'd rather it be fun if and and pulpy and have that spirit of those kinds of stories, but 
you need to bring the weight and the and the other things like you were talking about too. You need to update it and modernize it and 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 put some of that in there um, for your own feelings and for other things that you're feeling about those things. You know, um, I feel like it just depends on what you're doing. Well, yeah, and I I think those kind of things add add a little bit of gravity to the to the stakes that the characters you know are experiencing too. And and you and you were just talking about like before the catch, so that's on Kickstarter now. Yes. What nice segue. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, is the catch about? Because I, I see you have like another female lead character. Um. Yeah. It's. Uh, uh, it's pretty much about a, a skip tracer that specializes in uh, catching uh, costume criminals who who jump bail. So it's 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 not like your A-listers that would end up in a in like a supermax kind of thing. It's to use the the Spider-Man Rogues Gallery. It's like the level of villains like the Hypno Hustler. You know that's <laughs> that's the kind that that Lucy Chase has to has to to yeah you know bring in in that. So so D level like D level um, costume villains. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the. And does Lucy have powers or no? No, no. Uh, oh, wow. She, uh, both of the the lead characters, it's it's Lucy Chase. She's the the skip chaser, uh, skip tracer, <laughs> and uh, she has like an on again off again relationship with uh, a U.S. Marshal, Jack Devlin. So, um, you know, there's a lot of like um, Elmore Leonard in this, in in my mind. Not not done as well as Leonard, but you know it, it was a big influence on it. You know, uh, uh, like Rum Punch, which was the novel that Jackie Brown was based on, mm -hmm. and then the movie Jackie Brown itself, or uh, uh, you know the the Raylan short stories, and also the the Justified TV series and stuff like that. I, I think a lot of that, a lot of that informs it. Certainly the uh, uh, Karen Sisko book uh, Out of Sight uh, and the Soderbergh adaptation. I, th I think a lot of that's kind of in the DNA of, of uh, what I wanted to do, but apply it to uh, kind of a, a a superhero type of thing, which I never draw superheroes because I suck at it. So this was kind of like a, a side way of doing it. Uh, originally, I thought I might have time to draw it, but I'm too freaking slow. But um, I, I thought this might be kind of a, a fun way to, to look at stuff like that. Um, and, you know, with, with uh, books like Invincible and uh, stuff like that, where you can create a ready-made superhero universe that feels lived in uh, and you can, you can hint at back adventures from these various heroes. Um, it's pretty easy to kind of play that as like an analog to a, to a Marvel universe or a DC universe, because your your characters are all that stuff's happening in the background. So you've got the, these non-powered characters just kind of traversing some of this and making offhand comments, you know, about think this guy's really, you know, the dis descendant of uh, Albert Einstein from a parallel Earth. I don't know. Weirder things have happened because yeah. weirder things have happened in it. So yeah. 
it's it's also a, a fun way to kind of play around with uh, with some of the tropes that we all grew up with and just have fun with it. Now um, I ramble this, a lot. No, it's fine. <laughs> no, you're good. But I'm I'm so glad that you brought up Leonard. Uh, Elmore Leonard, because when I read the catch, the preview you sent me out, that's exactly where my mind went. Like I, I automatically, like this is an Elmore Leonard book. This is oh, an Elmore, Le this is an Elmore Leonard superhero book. And I, I don't know why <clears throat> those two things haven't been kind of put together sooner, but I'm glad that you did it because you're a good <laughs> dude. And, and this is really well done. It's a really great book. Now the Kickstarter that you're running right now, it's got eight days left on it. I'm going to try to put this out a little bit earlier so people can hear it before oh, the eight days kind of comes up. Um, it is, uh, you funded, which is cool, but this is for the trade paperback. Yes, because you are collecting this issue by issue. Now you're doing it as the full trade. Yeah, so how, yeah. how has that affected your, your Kickstarter numbers? Because this is something Kevin and I always argue about. Is it easier, we'll to, about, yeah. is it easier to get the single issue little number or are you having more fun trying to get the trade big number? Are you seeing a lot of people coming back, you know, for the trade that kind of got issue one or two? Um, we, we are getting some, some return folks and uh, it's, it's weird because on the one hand I can look and I, uh, because prior to this, I, I kickstarted um, an Athena Voltaire book and that did, you know, much bigger numbers, but it was all in one. Whereas if you look at, I suppose, each of the individual campaigns, like the cumulative effect of this, it's probably going to be pretty close to the Athena book. So it's strange because when I first got onto Kickstarter, I felt like the biggest mistakes you could make were to try to fund an individual issue or to try to fund a trade paperback without it being done. But I feel like the audience has uh, started to kind of roll with how it works as a pre-order system, I guess. Yeah. Or looking at, at I, I think Charlie Stickney uses the word artisanal for- Ooh, Of uh, course, you know what? Of course Charlie would use a word like yeah. that. Fancy yeah, that's pants. A, that's a Charlie Stickney thing to do. It's it's really smart because it does make sense. Because yeah, you know, people are aren't buying it for. Uh, I, I I think they're looking at at the value of of being contributing to something and the low print run. Maybe they view it as collectible. Maybe they don't. I'm not really sure. Uh, I struggle because I always want to give as much value as I can to the mm -hmm. individual issues. But I know there are some people out there who can, you know, be like, this variant cover costs 50 bucks. You know, that I, I've never been able to pull that trigger, but I, I understand that, you know, they've cultivated an audience that that wants these these highly collectible things. Mm -hmm. So I think if I don't have to fund something as I go with individual issues, I'd much rather do what you do and, and just do a big volume. Uh, and put it out there, boom, here's, you know, yeah. uh, 88 pages or whatever, and you can get it as a trade or you can get four individual issues if, if you're that kind of collector. And I, I, I think that's ultimately what I'd prefer to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes doing this individual issue thing does make sense. You know, if, if, you, if you don't have the dough to fund it, uh, you can 
you know, work out a deal where maybe you pay for, for six pages up front and then pay the artist when the Kickstarter, you know, comes in and they can finish the book. Yeah, that's what we do. I mean, and it's also a, a source of contention for us because Bobby, Bobby constantly says we should do more single issues and I constantly say we should just do the whole thing so it's done and over. So it's, it's and the other source of contention is hardcover or not hardcover, but we, we both make um, <laughs> concessions to the other. Uh, he, he won't concede to a hardcover and most of the time I won't concede to single issues. So we meet in the middle. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I've got one hardcover and I like it, but good God, it's heavy to haul around. <laughs> I mean, that's what that's what we've heard, but like that's what I the mean, same thing Walter told us about his hardcovers. Yes. These things are so heavy. Now, like, do you you guys do um, you know the the graphic novel format or even a graphic novella format? Have you have you thought about um, experimenting and saying, well, this project would work best as this? So as we we start to construct it let's do it as, as individual issues or let's do it as a hardcover. Um, or do you, do you find that you've got kind of a, a mechanism in place to do uh, what you do really well? Um, I would say it depends on the project because I would say that on Ninja Nuns, we knew that, that what that was going to be from the get-go. We knew we were doing separate stories, eight pages or so. Um, and we knew how many stories about how many stories we wanted to do. We had an additional story in there at first, but then we were like, "Yeah, we don't need that one now. We can save it for later or whatever." Um, and then, and then it just depends. With Dust Pirates, I think we adapted. Like we weren't sure what we were going to do. Um, what do you What do you think, Bobby? I think we always well. We were going into Kickstarter as like, "Hey, we can't get a big publisher," meaning somebody who'll pay a page rate to 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 get on board with this thing so we're gonna just do it on kickstarter i think after talking to some friends of ours we're just gonna kickstart the shit we want to do and then draw books on publishers and go hey here's a book do you want to publish it yeah mm. you know like i don't know man um so i think our our view with kickstarter is kind of always constantly changing because i think the platform is constantly changing mm -hmm. the the tastes of the backers seem to be constantly changing as well so it's just kind of you i like to look at kickstarters that do well i like to look at your kickstarters i like to look at pat shan's kickstarters i like to look at uh charlie stickney's i like to look at the reigns of fire the uh, what is it uh, uh skies of fire skies of fire guy to see what ray's doing i like to kind of just get a feel of what's shaking on kickstarter and see if we could kind of do some of that stuff as well I look at our old Kickstarters and how could we do better? Where could we improve? This time we hired a, a PR person. We hired Melissa from Don't Hide the PR. And we saw a real bump in our project follows. We had the oh, highest yeah. we had the highest project follow numbers that we've had since our first Metal Shark Bro trade. So to me, that's progress. You know, we always kind of get right around the same number of of percent always around 28 percent of the follows but if your number of followers go up then that 28 percent yeah. equals amounts to more dollars made at that 28 percent so to us kickstarter is just it's just a process it's just a it, it's it's trial and error that's the easiest way i look at like on the dust pirates kickstarter we had six variant covers our next one 
we know six might be too many. So let's do three variant covers. You know what I'm saying? So like- That's, that's exactly what we did with the catch. The first issue had six and it was like, oh crap, we, I, I think we split this too much. Yeah. So yeah, we went with three for the next two issues. Yeah. And, and not saying that all the variant covers were cool, but it's just like, maybe, maybe less is more as opposed yeah. to more is more, you know what I'm saying? But I, we were just trying shit because, you know, we saw it worked for a couple other people, but maybe for us, it would have been smarter just to do, uh, just to do less. We also have kind of been looking at price points, like where's a good number to get in. Uh, so it's just kind of, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's just for us, it's just trial and error because we feel the same way you do. Like I look at some of the Kickstarters and go, wow, that's a lot. So it's like, I don't want to feel like we're gouging motherfuckers. Right. But then at the same time too, I feel like if we offer something exclusive to this Kickstarter, this Kickstarter platform, then it's justifiable. Well, yeah. And I, I, I don't think that the people that, that do the like a $50 variant are gouging people mm -mm. either because their audience. No, I'm just saying that's me. That. That's, yeah, that's no, but, me saying like, wow, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I have the cojones to try that. You know, if you are doing that and I'm not hating on you, I'm saying, Hey, good for you. If it works for you, good for you too. But for me, it's just like, Ooh, I don't know. Because deep down inside I'm a cheapskate. Like, <laughs> see, you're, 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 that's exactly what I, what I, how I feel too. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Like I will buy, you know, uh, I have buyer's remorse at this point for almost everything. Anything <laughs> I pick up and go, I really want this. And I'll go, oh, but it's $15. I don't know. And then like, it's and I'm like, I'm not gonna, that's too much. I can't spend $15 on that. That's ridiculous. But every time I go to Kroger, I'll spend 40 bucks. Like it's nothing. Yeah, because like, <laughs> oh, we need more tortilla chips. You know, what I'm it's, just, it's stupid. You know. Well, so I know I've I've got a question for for you guys about. I thought like, we're interviewing you, Steve. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> I'm, I'm Wiley that I, way. I feel like this yeah. is like a good job interview where you're the interviewer interviewing the interviewer. <laughs> oh, but I I love talking about crafts. So anytime that that I can I can see how other people do things. I have to ask about it because it's it's interesting to me, and I hope it's it's interesting to other people too. Definitely. Like after all the world building you guys have done on Dust Pirates, do you think you're going to circle back and do more? Because it's it's always that question of like how much time do you have? Because you, I know you've got a bunch of different stories and a bunch of different concepts. With that one in the background. With that one, to be honest, what we what we did was we cut out well the, the parts of the story that we trimmed the fat from were all the like world building aspects of it. Um, we we tried to make it as simple as possible. Like these guys are stuck in Atlantis. This is what Atlantis was like. Here's a couple of uh, panels of that, and here's people talking about that, and here's this, and this is also a, a little like history of Atlantis. But it's nowhere near where we were going with it before, where it would have been, you know, maybe say five or six issues in a trade. Um, we th all the stuff we cut from it was the world building stuff. And the which, cool part is, and the cool part about that too, Kevin. I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't think the story suffered. No, that's what I was getting ready to say. Is the story didn't we, as, as we still serviced in service to the story. We cut the world building stuff because but, we felt like those were the less interesting parts. But, it, but if, you've, if you still know how the world works, 
um, do you want to go back and revisit that world and tell new new adventures in it? Or I think, do you I feel think like so, you've kind of capped? I think some of that depends on the audience reaction to it. Like we got a pretty good bump on it on Kickstarter. Uh, I think it's also depends on Tony's scheduling because if we're going to do this, Tony's the co-creator of the world. So yeah. we're only going to want to do it with Tony. So if Tony has the time and he wants to do more than maybe, but I mean, sometimes it's just, it's just nice. Some things don't need sequels. Like I'm of the right. mind that back to the future, the first film is fine. Like they don't need two more movies. I'm good. I, I think back to the future is a perfect film. I've never even seen the two other sequels. Cause even <laughs> as a little kid, I was like, I don't need this. Like I I'm perfectly fine with this world being over. So I'm okay with it. You know, some things with metal shark, bro. I think we went back to the metal shark bro world because it was just super fun to do. Um, and the audience seemed to to be really interested in us doing more, uh, mm -hmm. and it's just really fucking fun to do. Like Metal yeah, Shark, we Metal have Shark, a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, and it's just it's it's real easy to write, and it's real easy to just kind of because Kevin and I were talking about this yesterday. We just write the sketch around gags that we want to do. Yeah, the jokes that we want to put in the book, we write the story around that. Yeah, like, we go okay we have three good jokes for this issue okay let's let's write a stupid <laughs> let's write a comic about these three jokes the, so it's just kind of one of those things where it's just i think it's based on what the audience wants i mean you've done uh uh alina voltaire now for it seems i mean christ i saw that thing being uh solicited back with action lab in like 2016 and you're still doing it right so it's like yeah so, so you know what it's like to kind of to continue on doing a story why do you choose to continue on doing a story um the first that was, for, that was a good segue yeah you turned you turned that around very nicely, <laughs> i know i i i felt you turning it around uh <laughs> for for me like the first prose fiction that i read was the the hardy boy books when i when i was in like second grade and there's something about having these characters and these worlds that you can revisit. Now, having said that, I, I'm, I'm of the same mind as you. Like, their lethal weapon was perfect as it was. Yeah, totally. You did not need to tie in Riggs's wife's death with, you know, the South African mob and crap like that. <laughs> you, it, it was perfect in that first movie when it was just an accident. So I'm not saying everything needs to have a fleshed out world, but from my perspective, as I'm writing these characters and, and loving them and loving their interactions, I, I like to revisit it, yeah. which um, I also know that, you know, I don't want to do it in a nostalgic way, but I, I also know that a lot of the fiction that, that um, was there in my formative years, you know, I went from the Hardy Boy books to 1970s Marvel Comics, to the Edgar Rice Burroughs and Robert E. Howard books. So I, I was like wired for, for uh, episodic storytelling. I love I love the way Howard tackles it with Conan because these are just random stories that happen in random times. There's no yeah. It's they they hardly ever connect when you're reading a, a collection of stories. It's just like or he'll even mention well after he did that he dropped the wench off in a small village somewhere and. Conan got on his horse and ventured through the <laughs> desert and then he ends up in another but that's the old that's like the only tie back you see to the a story many moons ago it's just it, it just happened so randomly which is kind of cool you know yeah and then and then in in the 70s you had um Lynn Howard and L Sprague de Camp coming in and trying to 
yeah. you know, right connective tissue for all that. And then you had in the comics, Roy Thomas taking the stuff that Sprague and DeCamp had done with Howard and adding even more connective tissue. And yeah, at, at a certain point, it, it just becomes a bit much. And, and those little Howard vignettes are all you need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I dig that. Um, so yeah, so you've got this thing. It's going for eight more days. By the time this thing gets up, it'll probably be two. I'll probably release this on Friday so people can uh, can get an eye on this. You talked a little bit about the catches, oh, cool. the book, and and what are some of the rewards that we can get for going to the catch on Kickstarter, the catch trade paperback edition. Check that out. Elmore Lettered meets Gotcham Central. Those are two things that I really, really enjoy. <laughs> so well done to you. I like those things too. Um, but yeah, like some of the rewards... Um, uh, the the digital reward is the uh, the story in English and Spanish. Oh, uh, nice. My my collaborator Ishmael Canales, um, he he's all he's a co-creator, a full co-owner co-creator, uh, is Spanish, and he asked if we could do that, and so he's he's translated it all, and I I think it's fantastic. I think it's really cool to have this this book already in Spanish. So uh, yeah, the, the digital reward is uh, two versions of the, of the, the story. And then all of the, the print rewards come with uh, PDFs in English and Spanish as well. Oh, that's awesome, that's, that's cool. great. Um, so yeah, I like that. We've got it as individual issues. Um, you, can, you can get it with a, a signed headshot postcard drawing. Um, in my previous campaign, I... Uh, had a reward where you could get a, a sketch in the book, but like 200 people <laughs> bought it at that level. And I went, oh shit, this is going to take me forever to draw. I don't want people to wait for their rewards. So this way I can draw the postcards while the book's printing in China. So yeah, yeah that makes sense. Fingers crossed that'll work. But um, I think we have one commission reward left. Uh, just the the logistics of, of shipping from Ishmael in Spain. I'm I'm doing drawing rewards because I've got that background. Yeah. Uh, so it's not Ishmael doing it, but it, it, it's me. Um, but yeah, uh, you can uh, get the trade paperback plus a copy of the first issue, five copies of the first issue with your face on it as a, cool. as a cameo. Um, uh, geez, I'm trying to remember the, the rewards. I should have studied first. It's okay. Uh, I mean, got... I think you've covered it pretty well. I mean, you don't need cool. to list every reward. I mean, for God's sakes, uh, you're going to have more people out of their mind if you're just reading from the Kickstarter <laughs> page. <laughs> now, you also, you, th- this isn't the only time you've drawn stuff. You, you've also drawn stuff for role-playing games, I heard. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that that's where I, I got my start. Um, I'm going to date myself here. I, I started working in... Uh, the the role-playing game industry in 1989 wow oh, wow for yeah i know i'm old uh for a <laughs> publisher called uh game designers workshop gdw so i worked awesome. on uh, uh space 1889 which was a, a steampunk book um cool. a book called dark conspiracy uh a book called twilight 2000 uh which was like military stuff and then i went to a company called fasa corporation they did battletech and okay. Shadow Run yes. and Earth Dawn. So I, I worked on those. And then I, I freelanced uh, doing stuff for West End Games, uh, Star Wars, Indiana Jones. That's awesome. Uh, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but like 
an interesting aside from for uh, people that that want to draw and make comics. The whole time I was working in role-playing games, I felt like it would be a stepping stone uh, because guys like Tim Bradstreet, Bill Willingham, Tim Truman all started in games and then went into to comics. So I thought it would be a stepping stone and that I would work up some comic samples as soon as I felt like I was good enough. And I never felt like I was good enough. So the whole time I was there, not a single comic page. Uh, so that was my, my first like, lesson on on this stuff which was just don't wait around for shit just dive in so mm -hmm. i i started trying to do more comic stuff like 10 years later so i'm a cautionary tale guys i'm a cautionary tale <laughs> well we're avid role players so that's why that's why we oh, ask. Cool. We always talk about we always talk about dungeons and dragons on the pod and we play we play star wars game with um some friends and and like i play two Star Wars games and Bob plays like four different games because he has... Uh, it's only two now. It's only two? Okay. Yeah, but it's weird. It's interesting to hear you talk about that because you mentioned imposter syndrome earlier. And I guess we only have a couple more questions because we've been talking for a while. So we'll let you go in here in a minute. But how, how do you find yourself dealing with that? You've been doing this for a really long time. Uh, do you, why do you still suffer from that? And how do you, how do you try to deal with that, with the, the imposter syndrome? Well, okay. Um, I think, Bob, last time we were talking... With, with Kevin, I, I covered a little bit of this. Um, I only learned this like two or three years ago. Um, I have a thing called aphantasia, okay. which means uh, that I've seen it described as saying my mind's eye is blind, which means when, when people say, I just draw what I see in my head, I always thought that was a figure of speech. Uh -huh. But like two or three years ago, I learned that, no, this is a real... Like you guys can really see stuff in your head. I don't. I just see like all these vague things. And I and for years, I thought it was due to uh, me having a shitty observational eye. And no matter how hard I, I practiced, I couldn't draw upon like memory uh, to draw stuff. And finding out about aphantasia or aphantasia, I don't know how it's pronounced. I've only read it. But finding out about that um, got rid of a lot of my imposter syndrome but because for the longest time, I, I felt like, well, if I'm any good, I should be able to visualize better. Why can't I visualize? Why can't I mentally do a turnaround? Um, why do I struggle with this? So that was a big thing is just like addressing my own mental health. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Because uh, I think we all kind of deal with that on some level. Um, just like we're not good enough and you mentioned it when you were doing the, the the role-playing games even though you're you know working in that space but you're just you still feel that way it's really weird how all of our brains work at times you know now as, as a, a writing partnership um do you guys find that like it helps that one of you can pick up the other if if there there's like a block or or a struggle or does that even really come up much for you guys I don't know. For me, it's more just if I'm writing, I'm writing. If I'm not writing, it's hard to get going again. I need to just, I need to, and I know it's a very cliche answer when, when you're sitting at a table at a show and somebody says, well, how do I become a writer? And you say, well, write every day. And it sounds stupid and cliched, but I think for me, it really helps. The more I'm writing, the more I'm writing, 
the better I'm riding. It's, it's hard to, I'm like an old car, man. Like once I'm running, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Like I had an old 72 Nova growing up. And once I got the thing started, it ran like a top. It was just a matter of getting the damn thing to turn over. So sometimes I have a hard time turning over. You know, um, I, I, I can't speak for Kevin. Kevin, what do you say? I would say it's kind of the same thing. Like once we get started, like I'm good. Um, and we kind of know where we're going. Uh, we keep an outline um, so, and, and, it, and it's a malleable one. So it changes, it changes with what we, what we feel like suits the story or what adapts to the story better or where we feel the story is going. Cause sometimes this, we think the story is going one place in the outline and like in, in, in Metal Shark Bro, for example, we had a different outline than, than what is actually in the book. So it's, we changed it based on what the character wanted. We didn't know what the character wanted when we started. And then we, we knew like once, once we restarted, it was like, what does he want? He wants to be a shark again. So like that refocused the outline because the, we wrote that before we even knew what we were going to do. Um, so I would say it's the same thing like Bobby said like that. And, and that's also good because when I get burnt out on it or where I'm like, I don't know what I want to do with this scene. Um, I say, hey, we're, um, we're on this part here, tag you're in. And then I send him the email and then he will do something that, that's completely from the outline, but better than what I would have done in that particular situation if I were having to do it on my own. And um, and then that inspires me to do the next thing because all oh, his scene was really great. So like, let me like match that. Like we, I think we bring each other up. And so you guys, it, it's not like one of you is the the plot or high concept guy, and the other is the dialogue guy. You're you're you know matching scene for scene as as you go yeah 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 pretty much you know it's uh, i think we just have a nice little thing going um we just try to keep it moving you know just 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 ideas and outlines and scripts and but again for me it's just i have to i have to write once i'm writing i'm good i gotta get started and we also fix each other's dialogue on stuff like one time we had a line coming from a character that that in a scene I wrote, Bob said, I don't think that character would say that. And this is why. And I was like, okay. And then we re- went and read back with the scene. I was like, no, I think you're right. I think that's actually a better, this character's in the scene. Why not have them say that? Yeah, so that's, that works. So, and he does the same thing too. So it, it's always with us, it's always the best idea wins, not whose idea wins. No, and, that that's the way it should be. That's cool. Um, and so Yeah, like what, what what Bob was saying about, you know, just sitting down and doing the work. I feel like, that's 90% of the, of the, the fight, maybe even 95. I don't know. Just, it's not about uh, artistic inspiration or, or, you know, when the moment strikes or anything like that. Sometimes it's just sitting your ass in the chair and working, hammering out something. And as, as something starts to, to take shape, then the rest of it falls into place, you know, as a writer or, or, you know, drawing or coloring or lettering or whatever. It's just, once you get that muscle warmed up, it becomes a lot easier, I think. Yep. No, I agree. I couldn't agree with you more. It's just, you just keep going. It's, it's sometimes it's hard to get started, but you got to do it. And that's, that's where we are. You just got to do it. So cool. do it, do it. <laughs> and speaking of doing it, go to the catch, um, uh, go to Kickstarter, search the catch. You want to back the catch trade paperback edition it is live right now. There's about six days left on this bad boy. You're already funded, so you're in stretch goals. 
baby. So that's always yeah. nice that you've already kind of you've already kind of made your goal. So that's always a good feeling. Yes. And you've got like eight days left. You're good. Yeah. Absolutely. I I like it. And I enjoy it when when you can do like fun stretch goals. And I know, you know, stickers don't mean much to, you know, everybody or prints or, or whatever little tchotchkes you can put in there. But I, I feel like the more bang you can bang for the buck that you can give to, to someone that that's backing your, your work. I love it. I, I think it's cool. Yep, but I'm a I big agree. old nerd at heart. So where, where can we find you on social media and all that jazz? Um, on Facebook, Twitter, and my horribly neglected Instagram. I am Steve <laughs> Bryant art. So just my name and, and the word art. Very smart. Very, you know, that's, that's, that's good branding. I tried, except my website is stevebryantcomics.com. So now I, I dropped the ball. Now I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm so confused. Like, where do I go? How do I know this isn't the same guy? Steve, man, we really appreciate it. You're a solid dude. Uh, we, we really enjoy talking to you. It's a lot of fun. Good luck with the Kickstarter, even though you're already funded. So, hey, cool. Um, awesome. But, hey, let's let's get that shit to the moon, son. Let's get that shit to the oh. moon. Thank you so much. And and let me know if I can do a pinup or anything for you guys down the line. Of course, dude. Of course. It's always fun to, to chit-chat. It's always fun to share work. Because, again, sometimes when we ask people for covers, it's like we know we're never going to be able to, like, work with this person on, like, a real book. But, hey, it's, it'd be cool to see your interpretation of X, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so it's always fun. And I don't mean X is, like, the new stupid Rob Liefeld character that he just pulled out of his ass. <laughs> I mean X is in, like, the variable. So, right. I, so, I know yeah. <laughs> so, man, yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you for watching on Twitch. But we really appreciate it. Steve, we'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks so much. Take care, guys. Yep. his book the catch is on kickstarter right now you can go to kickstarter.com and search the catch and you will find it and it's there and you will like it and it's wonderful right that's, that's right i was gonna say that, that kickstarter has already funded so like that's great for steve and Ish, uh, ishmael canales his artist and we're we're really happy to have have steve on this episode of word bros so this episode will be out before the kickstarter is over make sure you head over there and back it yeah buddy you do that shit son because it's hot to death you won't so, get on that yeah so thank you guys so much for listening we really appreciate it uh we'll be back next week with uh more wonderful word bro shane barry hills coming on we like shane he's a good dude and we will talk to shane next week thank you guys so much and we'll talk to you then later gators you're listening to the word bros podcast the wordbros.com